Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. Welcome back, everyone. I have really the guy that Man, he's in the top 1%. And I know a lot of deer hunters. This is episode, Chris, I think this is episode 190, man. Uh, that's a good number. That's a good number for deer hunting, 190. Um, that's, a, that's a good number just in uh, having having some uh, experience under the belt, talking to a lot of deer hunters through the years. And But I'd put Chris here, and Chris has been on the show a couple times, clear back in episode 8. You were the first ever live podcast, man. Is that your uh, your old place where you lived? I oh, like yeah. Okay. Yep the uh, the old deer museum, and uh, um, now you moved. We won't say where, but uh, um, one ninety yeah. one ninety yeah. is one ninety is a good number for where you're living now. Uh, you you cracked you cracked the one nineties last year, um, and. Oh, I touched it maybe, but I don't know about cracking it. Pretty close. <laughs> yeah, that was that was something there. But um we and we can talk about that here in a little bit. But you you've had so much deer hunting experience in your life. Um you're a guy who's really in a way built your life around hunting deer. And uh you know, I think clear back in the the first episode that I had you on here back in twenty twenty, if you can believe it's been that long. Oh man, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, you talked about how as a kid you used to read like North American whitetail and other, other deer hunting magazines. And you just kind of daydreamed about what your life was going to be, um, when, uh, you were calling your own shots and you've definitely built that around chasing whitetails and you've had some incredible success through the years. And, uh, you're somebody whose opinion I I mean, there's there's not anybody that I value their opinion on deer hunting more than yours. There's some other guys that I know that that I um, um, respect just as much, but nobody more. And uh, uh, wow. thank uh, you. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Uh, it's just it's it's. I feel very privileged to be your friend, and you've helped me out through the years, and and uh, given me some good good advice, and and um, have helped me find some success because of what you've learned through the years. And in a way you're kind of a, a first generation hunter yourself. You and your dad kind of learned it together and your brother. Um, if I remember the story correctly, when, when your dad was in the military and you guys would be living on those military bases and, and, uh, traveling all over the place. And, uh, but now you're in Iowa. And, uh, so I figured, you know, just to kind of break the ice here, we're going to, we're, this is a very timely episode. There's a lot of people I'm sure that still have a buck tag in their pocket. Um, if you're in pretty much any Midwestern state other than maybe Iowa and maybe Kansas, does Kansas their rifle season isn't until after Thanksgiving, right? I think that's when I, I think I think that's when that that one kicks off. But pretty much every other Midwestern state has already had a uh, taste of gun season at this point. Um, and uh, things are a little bit different there. But here in Iowa, uh, we still got a few weeks yet 
before the Orange Army descends upon the Whitetail Woods and everything gets <laughs> thrown into thrown into some different situation than what it is right now. But before we get there, there's this thing that I've always I've always wondered about, and I, every time I think I have an opinion on it and think I got it figured out, I end up changing my mind. But that question is, how do deer feel about cows? How do they feel about sharing ground with cows? What have you observed? Well, I I, I uh, can give you an example of what I've experienced. Um, my when my dad purchased the uh, ninety five acres, ninety six acres initially that we now own, and now has gotten progressively larger and larger. Um, there was a neighbor whose cows would frequent, frequently push through the fence and um, stomp through our farm during the hunting season. Hmm. During the during the hunting season, oh. and when they did that, the deer sightings and uh, camera information dropped. Hmm. And, um, I I've hunted on farms that were adjacent to pastures where cows are present. And um, I, I personally am of the opinion that um, cows and deer compete for some of the same resources. Mm. Um, I think, you know, obviously deer um, are, are kind of more of a browser, whereas a, a cow is a grazer. Mm-hmm. So they kind of focus on some some different resources, but at, at some 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 points in you know the season, they are, they they could potentially be looking for the same resource. So if they are competing for the same resource at any given time, you know, I I would think that you know being a deer, I don't know how 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 big the average deer is. Let's just say 100 pounds, and then how, how big is the average cow? I have no idea. No, an average cow. Eight, yeah. eight, nine hundred at least, I'd say, adult cow. Yeah, yeah I, I think there's a little bit of a, a difference there. And I think, personally, if, you know, I, if I were competing with somebody, I'm a small, small person, um, by five, if I were competing against, you know, larger people, six, five, whatever, um, for a resource, time and time and time again, I think I might look elsewhere. Mm. You know, they're probably, they've got that size advantage. Uh, on me um that's just kind of my personal opinion on it i just uh um you know but i i have seen deer in in the same pastures and same woodlots uh that cows are in and and, and a lot of times you know it, it's maybe not as big a deal because you know a lot of times these these cows are fenced into pasture areas where there's not a lot of timber um so the deer can kind of just kind of work their way around them mm-hmm. but i just don't see a lot over, over my time kind of walking in the woods and being in the woods, I've never found a lot of sheds. I've never seen a lot of heavy deer sign in and around heavy cow sign. And hmm. To me, that's kind of a telltale sign that they're not spending a lot of time together for whatever reason. Do they like each other? I don't think so. You know, I, but yeah. that's, I, I can't, I can't talk cow and I can't talk deer. You know what I mean? So I don't know for yeah. sure, but I, I just kind of feel like, I, I, I just kind of feel like, uh, you know, they're competing for some of the same resources at certain times of the years. I mean, some some farmers will put their their cows in a cut cut cornfield. Yeah, I mean, you think they're not competing then, dude? They're yeah. they're really competing then. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, definitely. I, 
I just don't like hunting around them because I, I just kind of feel like, you know, when they're around me, the chances of a, a big deer walking within bow range when I have cows within a hundred yards of me or 50 yards of me, I don't, I don't think they're as good. I personally don't. I just, you know. But, yeah. So. Yeah. That, well, that's consistent with where my conclusion is right now. You know, uh, uh, one of our family farms, we, uh, share a crop and the guy turns his cows out there after he, I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty quick after he finishes harvesting and, um, just the, like you said, the amount of deer activity anywhere near those cows is almost zero, you know, and you get, you know, a couple hundred yards, you know, from that, like, like, let's say there's like a band, like a no man's land band, right? That's like a hundred yards wide. Once you get like 200 yards beyond that, then the deer sign picks up again, you know, and cows are noisy. I think that's another thing that makes deer feel maybe a little uneasy yeah. is how loud they are. Um, yeah. you know, uh, there's, there's someone that's taking care of those cows to some extent, checking on them, counting them, you know? Right. So there's some human presence there, some pressure, and yeah, like you said, I think you make a great point about competing for the resources, and yeah, so uh, if you're looking at buying a piece or looking at where to go hunting or maybe even shed hunting and you see that you got a farm that's covered up in cows and they're allowed to wander pretty much everywhere, um, you might want might to double check to make sure there's a spot on that farm where the cows can't get to that's got good deer habitat and good food sources for the deer that the cows can't get to and uh you're it's probably going to affect how many sheds you're finding too so and i have definitely like you said with the shed side of things i have definitely observed that uh many times over and uh so it's it's an interesting thing though but chris is the guy to ask because he spent a lot of time in the tree stands and he's covered a lot of ground how many how many counties do you think you've uh um shed hunted in Iowa? There's ninety nine uh, counties in Iowa. Give me a second, real quick. Yeah. All right. So if you start in the extreme southwest corner of Iowa, you're in Fremont County. You start working your way east, you go Page, Taylor, Ringgold, Cater, Wayne. Papanoose, Davis, Van Buren, Lee. That's the entire southern tier, all the counties kind of touching with Missouri and all the neighboring states. I've shed hut in every single one of those except for Lee. Really? <laughs> wow. That's crazy, man. Uh, what Do you mind saying which county you think is the best out of all of them? Um, I found most of my sheds in uh, Taylor. You know, I lived in Page right next to Taylor, so I, I was spending, in, you know, I don't, I don't know that it's been the best, but it's just where I spent most of my time. You know, sure. I mean? so yep. That's yep. But, um, crazy though. How how many sheds do you think you've found since you've like gotten hardcore into shed hunting? You know, like I imagine there was probably a time when you're growing up or something where you like stumbled across a few in the in the timber or something like that. Oh, yeah. But Virginia, I think, you know, I might've found a dozen. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until I got out to Iowa that I started picking them up because I was actively going, go, move for a second. I did. Yeah. I was actively, you know, going out searching for them and such, but 
uh, you know, I started real hard, I think around 2009 and I was averaging about 50 a year for the first couple of years. And then I was averaging about 70 a year and I've slowed down a little bit, haven't moved a little bit, but I'd say I'm probably, if I had to guess, I'd say I'm probably pushing a thousand. Wow. That's awesome. And, uh, all, all, uh, you know, wild white tail sheds, you know, this isn't going, this isn't going to, to, I guess, uh, uh, you know, around feeders or, or anything like that. And then, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with people doing that. I think it's, it's different no matter where you are, you know? Um, yeah. but, but that's, you, you've covered a lot of ground in Iowa. So you've seen a lot of farms, picked up a lot of sheds and, uh, I've seen some of, uh, your favorite sheds and, uh, um, you know, even found quite a few cool deadheads through the years too, of course, and, and all that. But, uh, just a, a lot of experience with whitetails. Um, this this season right now, so we're in Thanksgiving week, which is a week early this year, just the way the Thursdays fall. Um, but uh, how like how's your deer season going so far? You got any deer on the ground? Yeah, I mean, after last season, I last season was the first year that I ever. Uh, I mean, you you know you know how it is in, in the summertime when you get trail cam pictures of bucks that you want to kind of take or you know pursue and go after. Um, last year was the first year I ever ever got a deer on camera that it was like him or nothing else for me, hmm. and uh, I just I just kind of didn't think it was going to happen. To be honest with you, I think I first got pictures of him in, in mid October on some public and. Uh, so so let's let's hit pause right there because the, you have a unique process. How do you, you like cast this net of trail cameras out there where you right. kind of like you're sifting through and you have like, you have a way of coming up with what, maybe anywhere from three to five bucks every year that you really got your eye on. Can you kind of like walk us through like, what's your, what's your method for deploying trail cameras to find, find a handful of target bucks that you're real interested in? Um, well, I usually start throwing them out, you know, uh, I, I used to put them out early, like Ju June and July, but to be honest with you in the summertime, well, most, most deer in general, especially last summer, we didn't have much rain. They're not moving that much. So unless you have them in the right area, you're really not going to get, a, in my opinion, you're not going to get a lot of different deer on mm. your camera in the summertime. Um, but I definitely like to get them out in August. Um, because I start to see, like, especially towards the end of August, some of the, those bigger deer, you start maybe getting a couple cooler nights or you're getting closer to shedding. They, at least they seem to be, be coming in. And uh, um, just to get pictures of them, I use I use mineral. I mean, that works, that work, works really well in the summertime, um, which is legal in Iowa during the summer, non-deer hunting season. Um, but I just, like you said, you used the word cast a net. I think, I don't think there's probably a better, really, a better phrase, like, you know, I, I I just try to run as many cameras in as many places as I possibly can, in in hopes of picking up a good one. And I'll be honest with you, this summer, this past summer, was probably the worst summer I've ever had. I bet you I had in the neighborhood of twenty, of the twenty five cameras out, and um, most of the big deer that I picked up were, were in southeast Iowa. Um, I had one good one in southwest Iowa that I I, I went over and tried for once, never saw him. Um, but I, I just kind of feel like this year, 
something's going on in the it, throughout throughout Iowa because I'm not seeing the big mature deer like I, that I've seen in years past, and I don't mm. I don't know what what to attribute that to. I know uh, I've I've been watching some 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 shows on YouTube with uh, you know some of the bigger names in in the hunting industry, and they, they <laughs> some of them in Iowa have have said that they think they lost a lot of their big deer this year due to the EHD again. And it could be. I, I went looking on, on the, one of the pieces of public that I'm hunting um, over here in south central Iowa, and uh, I found three dead deer all around one pond. So I, I think, you know, it's probably probably a thing again this year. Yeah. But I think it's a, a thing every year, really. Um, I just think, you know, some years like this past summer are the worst when you don't get any rain all summer. I think it's really yeah. tough on those deer. Um, so this this year, it's been really hard to find a big deer. I, I just recently kind of bumped into in one uh, a couple weeks ago that was with, with the doe. He was, I think they were just a kind of a breeding party. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I just didn't hunt that day. And I was walking around checking ponds and uh, I bumped them. And uh, they moved to a different area of the section I was in. And I came back later that afternoon to check another pond and I'm pretty sure it was the same group. They were over there and he's a really good deer. But other than him, I, ha I haven't really seen a lot of really big mature deer. I've seen a lot of deer that are like, you know, younger, like mm -hmm. some younger. Yeah. Seen, some like, some nice three pond. and a half year olds. Yeah. But I just haven't seen a lot of really mature deer, at least where I'm at right now in South Central uh, over on my dad's place. It's a different story. I, I mean, I could, I could show you pictures right now of like, you know, a half a dozen, or, or 10 mature deer it seems like mm. for whatever reason that area over there didn't get hit quite as hard as maybe some of the other spots you know so i, I don't know why that is i don't yeah, know it's it's interesting you bring that up because it's been the same for me too um i've seen a lot i've seen a lot of very young deer this year um i've seen i don't know maybe well, you and I have been texting about some of the deer I've been seeing on my way home from work, and I'm trying to get permission on, you know, I've yeah. seen a couple, like, real giants out while I'm driving. I wanted um, to ask you about one that you yeah. have, have. Oh, man, we got to talk some more on that. Um, uh, but uh, I've, I've uh, seen quite a few three-and-a-half-year-olds, but normally um, I've seen while hunting um, – probably two to three really nice mature bucks by this point in the season. And I, and I haven't, I haven't seen any while hunting. I've seen some nice bucks yeah. while hunting, but you can just tell they're three and a half years old, you know, like they're, they're, they're still coming into their own. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and an interesting thing though, uh, well, a couple things. So my friend Caleb and I, I can't remember if I told you this, uh, the, the listeners know this cause it was the, one of the more recent podcast episodes. Uh, my friend Caleb and I, we stumbled across a big EHD kill. Oh, really? Um, yep. And uh, I'll tell you what county after we're done recording. But oh. um, uh, it it was, and there was, there, we found one nice mature buck. You know, he's probably pushing 160. Yeah. And had, you know, a lot of nice little tra bits of trash on his antlers and stuff like that you know, some little kickers and stickers and stuff. And, um, uh, so that's definitely part of it, I think. Mm -hmm. But, um, also with the drought, I have a buddy who, um, uh, I, I really like to introduce you to sometime, 
uh, he does such a great job monitoring the deer on his properties that he can hunt um, with trail cameras. I mean, like he names them all and watches them for years. And then, you know, when they hit that five and a half range, then he goes in and, you know, specifically targets, you know, maybe two or three bucks a year and usually gets them. Um, and he said this year, most of his bucks either did not increase in antler size by any noticeable amount or they even went backwards. Um, uh, because he, he thinks the only thing that, that adds up is just the incredible drought that's been going on there. And, um, and he, yeah, yeah, he named like, I don't know, maybe five different deer that this was the case for. And so, yeah, I don't know what, what really is going on either. I think it is tied into our droughts that, that we're having. Um, and, uh, hopefully, you know, we'll get a nice wet year coming up here in uh, 2024 and maybe we can see a good rebound a lot of these three and a half year olds that we're seeing i'm sure they'll they'll grow up to be nice deer and and uh things can get set right again but but um yeah so you, you cast your your net right you, you uh do you said about 20 to 25 cameras and uh get them out in august when do you first check them do you wait till like late september to finally go in and check them or most of them sell cams uh i i have some cell cams but to be honest with you i don't i don't use them unless i i have a target i don't just put out the cell cams um so i'm just using the regular i guess what are they analog cameras um is that what they call them i think I, yeah um, i think so uh so i'm just using those and then really depending on kind of where they're at will kind of dictate a little bit as to when I can get to them. Like the ones over in Southwest Iowa, it might be a month, month and a half before I can get over to them, depending mm-hmm. on my schedule. Uh, you know, but the ones that are closer, I can, I can definitely check, but I usually, I don't know. I like to let them, let them soak out there for a while. I don't like to just go check them. You know, I like to get mm-hmm. a couple at least. And then, uh, you know, I, you know, you get, so you get that extended battery life with some, some lithium batteries or some really good fresh Duracell batteries. that will go for a month, month and a half. Um, but I, I like to leave them, I, you know, I just, I just think the less, the less, uh, amount of pressure or intrusion in there, the better. Um, but I mean, I, I ran some, I ran, I ran, I run a lot of cameras in like historic spots where I usually pick up a lot of big deer. Mm-hmm. They just weren't there this year. I mean, they, they just weren't there, you know? So Yeah. Are you choosing, I, I mean, initially, are you choosing like a certain topographical feature? Like, do you have like a like one or two topographical features that are go-to like pinches or Creek bottom, something like that. Well, I, mean, I definitely like to be around water. Um, you know, edges are great too. Cause the deer, you know, deer are creatures of the edge, you know, Ben rising mm-hmm. has that show white tail edge. And I just think that's a, that, 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 that name is just in, but that's what they are. They're, they really, they're just, you know, they're crepuscular animals. They move around in low light conditions on these mm-hmm. edges where they're, light and there's and there's all kinds of different types of vegetation i just like i like you know being around um like different types of uh, uh not, not so much topography but more just like vegetation types and like like wait maybe, i guess maybe my best example would be like maybe we're a wetland that maybe kind of borders with like some some young pines with that kind of uh kind of moves up into like a, a hardwood ridge area where you got some different um different 
types of habitat that are kind of converging on each other, you're going to get a mm-hmm. lot more movement in those kind of areas. Or like, you know, in Southwest Iowa, there's not much timber. So I like to really focus on where a couple of fence lines come together because that a lot of the movement in those kind of areas is, is you know, you find in Southwest Iowa up and down yeah. those fence lines is big. Um, but in the summertime, you almost have to be around water if you're going to, if you're going to expect to get anything because they're not too far away from it, you know, in that mm-hmm. string Iowa summer heat. Um, but yeah, I just, but I just, I've just kind of, you know, once these, you, you establish those mineral sites in the summer, those deer know where they're at. They, they'll keep coming back to them. And, you know, you might only get them once or twice during the summer, but that's all you need, right? You know, you only need confirmation that they're there once, once is good. Yeah. You know? Um, but you know, if you don't, if you don't get anything and you've been running it all summer, it, it kind of makes you wonder, okay, he's still there or is he, is he gone? You know what I mean? I mean, it, you know, he, he might be gone that year and he might come back. It's kind of hard to say, but at least from what I've seen on my, on my, my, my dad's place, like at least the homebodies, you usually see them every year. I mean, that's, that's where they're at. You know, they, there's, there's some deer that leave and come back and, or there's some deer that leave and don't ever come back, but there's some deer that kind of hang around. Like they, it's kind of their, you know what I mean? It's kind of like mm-hmm. their, their core area there. I call them, we call them over there, just homebody deer. Those are the kind of deer that we really try to target over there in terms of, you know, if they're, if they're good deer, try to protect them, let them try to get older, you know, because those are some of the ones that don't leave, you know what I mean? It's the ones that leave that get killed. Those are the ones yeah. that are harder to, harder to protect because we don't have any good, they're wild animals, you know, we don't have a control over where they're going to go, you know what I mean? But, yeah. But uh, we had a, this year over there, we had a really good deer that we called dozer we have two of his sheds i think his, his, his match sets from i think when he was two and three we didn't find him last year he was like 155 from last year but my brother actually passed him up late muzzleloader he's like well you know he's made it through the whole year and i gotta give props to my brother because he was a heck of a deer last year i mean he had split g2s and split g3s and was like oh, oh man he you know? passed him huh and he, I was, I was sitting, I wouldn't have believed it except I was sitting there with him. He was, he was, he was the gunman, and I watched him, man. He, he didn't even, didn't even raise the gun. He said, not shooting him. I was like, wow, that's impressive. And, uh, <laughs> he blew up, man. He, he's pushing. Well, I don't, I don't know if, if he's, if he's even a, he's kind of a question mark right now, but he was pushing 180. But, uh, I knew, I knew my best chance to kill him this year was going to be before rut. And, uh, he was on us, on us, on us till about, october 20th and then he he went across the road and got himself shot so i, oh. I but i don't know if he's still alive though because the, the he was not recovered and then one of the other neighbors picked him up on trail camera moving around like the next day but it's hard to say you know sometimes those those kind of wounds get septic and they die later on but it's just uh he's a i mean a really nice deer 180 but I, i've never seen i'll have to show you a picture of him sometime or i'll just text you a picture of him right now um he's had the biggest body of any deer i've ever seen i mean i've never seen i've killed a couple bucks that have grossed or or, uh you know have gone over 200 pounds like like early in the season and and and, uh i just i've never seen one this big before um yeah if he's if he's not 300 pounds he's not an ounce in my opinion <laughs> it's just he's just a I, I think we should have named him tank or something yeah. he 50 gallon because he looks like a 50 gallon drum um in this picture uh, he, he, i mean 
I'll send it to you here. I got it right here. Yeah. But we call him we call him Dozer because he just looks like he'd wreck house. Yeah. He's a good deer. I just hope uh, hopefully he's still yeah, alive. Yeah, I hope he's still alive. I hope you get a shot at him during late muzz. That'd be a oh man. Yeah, he does look like a fifty-five gallon drum on legs. <laughs> okay, got a picture of him too. A couple pictures of him after he came out of velvet. I'll send you one of those. Yeah, he looks awesome. Yeah. I mean, his rack looks huge, but with his body, it all, the body almost makes it look smaller, just because his body is just so enormous. That's a three hundred pound deer all day, man. He's got so many tines. He's got, I think my neighbor and I looked at him a couple of times and I think we both think he's right around 14, 15 points somewhere in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's just three or four I'd more. Say, I'd say at least that, you know, and I bet if you had your hands on him, you would, yeah. you would find a bunch of other like little, little inch I mean, points in there, you know, that's what a five-year-old, you know, deer or six-year-old deer. I mean, he's at least five. I think. Yeah, both holy cow. That can can do in Iowa, you know. If this this is the kind of deer that, if he had a little better time length, he'd be a two hundred incher, you know. But oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he just he had some really good genetics, and that's my brother was thinking. Let him go, and I got to give props to my brother because I'm not sure I would have let him go. I mean, to be yeah. honest, with you, if the gun had been in my hand, I'm not sure I would have uh, not killed him. But you know, uh, good on good on John. That's that's pretty impressive. But, yeah, uh, definitely. You know, just uh but going back to the camera thing i i just kind of feel like you know um let me let me let me just kind of give you the, the kind of my uh my feel feel on it and, and i think this example kind of just kind of put it into perspective for you um so last year coming over here was my first year in um living in lucas county iowa south central iowa sheraton iowa and I, I didn't really know Boo from Boo. I didn't know where I was going to hunt. So I just I just put out every camera I had. I, I probably had 30 cameras running. And I picked up two really good deer. I picked up one down in Decatur County that was 190s. He got killed by a guy down there with Lake Muswater. Um, came by my bow stand October 19th, about 9.30 in the morning. I was at work. But hey, that's the way it goes, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I picked up another deer that was close. I mean, I picked up another deer in Lucas County. That I ended up killing that, you know, is right at 190. Um, but the thing about that deer, and what, what the point I'm trying to make is, I, I knew there was a lot of deer in there. I, I'd see them, you know, I'd see them feeding in, in, in the beans. Um, but it, that was my kind of my go-to. Like if you if you find an area where you, there's just a lot of deer, a lot of does, or a lot of deer in general, there's going to be a big deer. I mean, mm. that's just that's like a calling card for a big mature deer. Is he going to be a 190 or 200? Probably not, but he's probably, there's probably going to be a big mature deer there somewhere with that many. Yeah. That's um, a good tip. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, I need to, you know, I need to, I need to figure it out. So I just, I dumped like a half a dozen cameras in there. I put six cameras in there and every one of those cameras, but one didn't have them on it, but that one camera I picked him up on. And then from then on, it was just like, okay, you know, that's the deer. And, uh, I uh, didn't really, like, I knew that was the deer I wanted to target, but it wasn't until I saw him for the first time on November 10th with the doe that I knew it was like him or I wasn't going to shoot another deer. Like, I, I just wasn't going to do it. Like, mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like that before. Like, while hunting, I've never seen a deer that big before. Um, yeah. I, I've seen some big ones. I've seen some from the, 
the vehicle driving down the road that were probably in that same, you know, 180 to 200 yeah. range. But I, I've never seen one that big on the hoof while hunting. On I, I saw him a couple times um, on the ground because the area I was hunting or where I was hunting him didn't really lend itself well to hunting from trees. Um, I did see him one time from a tree. Got to watch him for about 40 minutes one time from a tree uh, feed on November 20th with about 30 other deer. Um, but like, you know, and, and at that point I, the season was almost over last year. I had kind of written off. I couldn't get close to this deer during archery season. I just couldn't get close to him. The closest I ever got was 50 yards. He's just, he was a seven year old deer. I mean, he was just mm -hmm. on public ground. I mean, he, he knew what was up, man. I mean, he, he, he knew, you know, and, uh, the, the times that I saw him, he was either actively with a doe or actively pursuing a doe. Those are the only times I saw him. Mm. And the most of the cameras, pictures I got of him were at night. Uh, I got one daylight photo of him on November 7th, which I, when I start thinking about days I like to hunt in Iowa, I think that if I had two days to hunt in Iowa, I would hunt November 8th and 9th every single year. If I had three, mm. I'd, I'd hunt the 7th, 8th, and 9th every year. Okay. I just just feel like to me, for a lot of the time, I've killed a lot of, a lot of big deer on the eighth and ninth and i just kind of feel like that that window right there in my opinion if a big deer is not with a doe at that point he's actively looking for one he's he's moving and he's he's on his feet at some point in time during that that window and, and don't get me wrong I've, I've seen big deer on the fifth and the sixth um looking as well i just seem to see more of them uh, the cameras seem to start lighting up a little bit better for me from what i've seen over the years on around that seven eight nine time frame but you know um i just i just kind of feel like if, if you don't if you if you know there's a big buck in an area and he does not have a doe you have a really good chance of seeing him on those days in my opinion mm. um just because like uh, it's getting really 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 close to peak i you know peak yeah. they say it peak they say peak rut in the midwest is you know right around november 15th when you start getting around you know the 10th 11th 12th there's a lot of does that are coming into heat a lot yeah a lot of options yeah and i think once you start getting into those days guys are just like you know the juries call call it like the lockdown or whatever you know mm -hmm. um i think you know i i kind of just feel like those big mature deer man they they scoop those those hot does up those those estrus does up and, and it's pretty easy for them because you know there's so many uh does in heat at that time and they're kind of the the dominant buck they're kind of getting their their pick um but I, I really think that there's a lot to be said. Like you hear about these guys, like these, these big bucks kind of move them out into the kind of op more open areas where they can kind of watch and, and, and fend off some of those smaller bucks. Cause those smaller bucks, man, they're going to pester them. They're going to come in and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to follow that scent and they're going to come in and hang out and, um, and, and just kind of, you know, on that, on that fringe, that bubble, and mm -hmm. those, those big deer, I watched one this year, man. He, he was bedded with the doe on, it was like the last week in October and the doe lay down and he laid down right next to her, you know, within mm -hmm. 10 yards watching her. And he, he wasn't, he, he wasn't laid down for five minutes and he stood up and he turned and he, and he looked and he faced his back trail and you could just see his ears lay back. And, you know, there was a buck back there. I didn't see him, but I mean, there was a buck there. I guarantee you there was one there. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it just happens a lot. Like those, I think those big deer at, you know they got they got they got kind of a double-edged sword they're trying to kind of 
get that doe to cooperate with them. And at the same time, they got other like, like what do they call them? Satellite bucks, I guess. Yeah. Kind of roam around and try to get in on the action too. But yeah, I just, I kind of see like, you know, some of these bigger deer, it seems like they, they want to try to get that doe off into, in, into whatever area they can that works for them, like by themselves to kind of, you know, kind of do what they're going to do. But uh, I just, I don't know. I just kind of, you know, game plan and try to find deer. I just, I just, I don't think you can go wrong, man with just like having as many options as you possibly can. It's just, you know, it's just like, um, I don't know if you pigeonhole yourself to one, one tree stand or one farm every year that you're going to hunt, there might be a big deer there. Um, but there, there, there might not, you know, and if there, if yeah. there is it's great, good for you. But if there's not, you know, I, I, you know, I hope you, I hope you like in, 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 I just hope you like being in the woods and enjoy your time and your peace and, you know, the serenity of, of, of the fall, um, as much as you do, deer hunting and shooting a big deer and, and you know i've gotten to a point where that's kind of becoming more important to me but um um but if you don't have a big deer man you, you might just have to settle for just watching deer you know because there's not there's, there's a lot of times there's not a big deer on, on every farm that you're hunting yeah, yeah. Isn't a lot of guys think oh iowa man there's big deer everywhere and and, and, and to the extent they're right there i'd say there's mature 140 inch bucks just about everywhere in yeah. iowa um but like if, if you're if you're talking like a you know, every, everybody, as they say, everybody's idea of a big deer is a little different, but you know, to me, 140, 150 inch buck in Iowa is, is probably like, I don't know if average is, is the right word, but I, I would, I would say it's pretty, it's pretty common, like 140, mm-hmm. 150 buck. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think when you start getting up into like, you know, the, the high sixties, the seventies, the um, then you start, then you're talking about different, different class of animal. And then you get up in the, you know, the eighties, nineties, two hundreds, you're talking about a weight, a, a much bigger animal. But uh, mm-hmm. there's those kind of deer. Like when you when you hear guys talking about all oh, 180s, 190s, 200s, I'd kill all those if they live in Iowa. I just kind of it makes me smile because <laughs> yeah, you could hunt. Know? Yeah, they they're probably not going to hunt as many hours as you have, and and just, uh, you've. Oh no, just those kind of animals. There's, you know, I could probably count on both hands the number of times I've seen like a 180 class animal from like in my life. Yeah, you know, just like everywhere I've been. You know, and I'm. You know, I think I, I think it's way different if you're hunting like, you know, in some of these managed neighborhoods like the Garden Grove community where you where you we were talking earlier where one of your friends hunts, um, or if you're talking, uh, you know, some of these managed these managed properties in Monroe County or, uh, you know, in general, you know, if you if you have like thousands and thousands of acres, you know, 180 inch deer, it's probably going to be a little bit more common than yeah, for some for somebody like that, but you know. Uh, but for somebody like me who hunts mostly uh, private ground that other people have permission to hunt and public ground that everybody can hunt, you know, um, a, a big deer in those kind of areas is, I, I think, 150 is probably a little bit more realistic. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that, that's a big deer. I mean, kind of nowhere, everywhere you go, you know, if you were to go across the country, 150 inch deer is a pretty solid deer. It's pretty much anywhere you go. But, uh, I, I think in, in Iowa, in my opinion, and in Iowa and Illinois and maybe, maybe northern Missouri and Kansas, I think 150 inch deer is a really good deer, but I think it's kind of a, in a lot of areas, pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I, I mean, you figure just, I don't know, I, I bet through hunting and just driving around during deer season, you know, what would you say? Probably see at least 10, one, you know, high 140s, low oh, yeah. 50s every season you know yeah, and I would agree with that. yeah and 
but to Chris's point, man, you see maybe one a year that's truly in that, you know, high 160s to 180s range. And uh, I still don't know if I've ever seen a 200 inch buck, you yeah. know, like ever. I don't, I mean, I, I got a buddy that killed one a few years ago and I, obviously I saw that, but, but, uh, you know, on the hoof, I don't know that I've ever seen a 200 inch buck, you know, yeah, I, it's hard to say. It really is. You know, I, uh, it's really hard to say in trail cam pictures. Like I'll be honest with you. I, a lot of times it's, it's even harder to tell from a trail cam picture. Um, so it's, it's just, you know, you know, you know, it's big. That, that's all yeah. I, I yeah, it's like when you see one of that caliber from, you know, like you said, high sixties to one eighty or, or bigger, you, you know it's a big deer. And yeah. like you've seen a lot of deer, you, you know if it's bigger than anything you've ever seen before. Right. And you know, it's just that doesn't happen very often that you're going to see a bigger deer than you've ever seen before. When you've seen a lot of, um, you know, one fifties, and you've seen your, your you know, one hundred seventy inch buck yeah. every year. When you, when you see one that, you know, you're just like, you know, it's like wow, wow. You know, that's, that's a big, big deer. Right, right. You know, it's big. And, uh, you know, those are the kind that make it interesting because they get the, 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 the adrenaline pumping and, you know, get you charged up. And that's just like something that deer last year, you know, I kind of, it was getting ready. We were getting ready to turn the corner in the December and gun season. And I was like, well, this is probably it. You know, I'm probably not going (laughs) to get him. But, um, you know, at least I got to see him. You know, it was fun chasing and, uh, it, it, it was a cool experience, but I'll be honest with you, it, it, it wore me down, man. I'll be honest with you, it really, I don't know how many days exactly, but from October 15th to when I killed him, I think the second day of muzzleloader, I was on him almost every day. I mean, I was trying to get in there, and, and if if it would work, I would try to get And a lot of times, I didn't even hunt. I just watched. I just watched mm-hmm. from a couple of yards with my binoculars to see if I could pick him up. And uh, I only saw him, I saw him five times. I killed him the fifth time, but... I'll be honest, but by the time it was over, I was, I was, it was a dream come true. But, but at the same time, I was just like, I was, I was, I was mentally in, I was mentally exhausted. I was, yeah, it just wore me out. It really did. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's what's been nice about this year. I've just kind of gone out and just been poleaxing does and filling my mom and dad's freezer and filling my freezer and just kind of, kind of, just kind of doing what I did when I was kind of a young, young buck, which, you know, shooting deer and just kind of having fun with it and you know, i don't really care whether or not i get a big deer this year or next year or the year after. I, i've got that deer was was kind of like a oh it's it's kind of a once in a lifetime yeah, buck. yeah i mean it's a, a lifetime deer for me i mean it really is i i'd be honest with you if i don't ever kill uh anything that again that's just i i i care but at the same time it's, it's not gonna break my heart just because i feel like that was that was it you know for me yeah and, you know i just i think I'm just going to go out there and it's, it's really nice to just kind of go out there without, I mean, before I killed that deer in 2012, 170 class deer with a bow, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to try to get there and shoot a, a gross 170. And mm-hmm. once I hit that, hit that level, I was just like, man, this is cool. This is a nice deer. It, I mean, it, every, everything I had harvested up to that point, it was just like, it, it was like a notch above. If you right. Can, you know, and getting this deer, I was just like, on public ground too i'm just like man i don't know man i, I think this could be it and that's fine i mean I, I, in a way i kind of i kind of hope it is because i i don't like to hunt with pressure on my back about trying to shoot a big deer it's just it, it's not as fun i just like you out there and 
learn and, and experience, you know, bottom line is I like being outside and I, I feel closer to God and I feel at peace with myself. And it's my kind of drug. It's got my kind of medicine and I don't have to shoot a deer to have fun. I like, I like shooting them. Um, but I also, <laughs> I really like eating them, man. I, I think I yeah. like a whole lot more <laughs> than shooting them. And, uh, especially those back straps. Those are good. Oh yeah. And the tenderloins and, you know, I, I just, I just really like eating those younger deer too. Some of those does are a lot, a lot better, but, uh, I just, at the end of the day, I, I think you got to really kind of just make sure you're having fun with it. And I've said this before, if you're not having fun out there, man, you really got to kind of look at what you're doing because that's, that's what it's all about. If you're, if you're beating yourself up, um, cause you're not getting a big buck every year or, you know, you make a bad shot on a deer or, you know, uh, your hunt's going bad for whatever reason. I think you just got to kind of take a step back, take, take a breath and just be thankful, you know, that you're yeah out there. I just, I, I just hope that I can do it for a long time, but you know, you never know. You never really know. And yeah, and, uh, I'm just kind of yeah, busted. Good, I've been able to do it. Yeah. It's a know. really good point you make there, you know, not getting caught up in all that extra pressure and, when I start feeling that way, I kind of ask myself, okay, where, where is this pressure coming from? And when yeah. I'm honest with myself, it's coming from me, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not like anyone else is putting this pressure on me that I need to go kill a buck or, you know, a nice buck or whatever. It's, yeah. it's just coming from my own competitive side that, you know, wants to do this. And then I start thinking too, you know, <clears throat> which I think is where you have really good perspective with, the big, you know, the giant that you killed last year, it's like, you know, I, I killed a really nice buck last year, uh, but, but by anyone's standard. And I think to myself, it's like, okay, so how does this fit? How does this buck fit into my long-term contentment? You know what I mean? Is it going to be like, well, no, that was last year. Nope, that was two years ago. You know, I got to get one now. I got to get a bigger one now. I got to be, you know, close to that one now, you know. And it's like you kind of almost can become greedy. I mean, how many how many racks can a house fit, you know? Right. <laughs> and and uh, I heard a really, really good interview um, on the Exodus podcast with Jake Hofer uh, this last week. He had a guy that you might know. He he's a fellow Iowan, um, Rod White. Uh, he was a long time, uh, or not a long time, but but uh, for maybe one or two, I think it was just one Olympics. He represented you know Team USA yeah. in the the Olympics as an archer, and um, uh, he is just a very gifted hunter. I mean, just a guy that gets it, goes hard after it. He's got a lot of the same perspective that you do, I think, where he's kind of like, I think he said, you know, what do I even do with all this, these racks? You know, he's, I think he said, I killed three elk this year, three bulls. What do I do with three bull, you know, <laughs> bull racks? Those are huge, you know, or like you look at like Cameron Haynes, you know, look at his every now and then he'll post like a picture of his trophy room and stuff like that. And he's got mounts just everywhere. It's like, there's no, you couldn't have enough room for it. And, and I think those are, those represent guys who are at the very peak of, of bow hunting. And, um, like 
if if you attain that, it becomes almost a thing like, like, yeah, you know, I'm great. I think all those guys would say I'm very grateful for every animal I get. But at some point, you know, it's like, is this a bottomless pit where I'm never going to be satisfied? Or do I need to start looking at this and drawing some contentment from the things that are other than filling a tag that make hunting what it is? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's kind of like right now we we have this buck that's been fairly consistent walking through our yard. And, um, you know, I could go out there probably and wait by like a shed in my yard, you know, for the last 10 minutes of legal light. And I could probably kill that buck. You know what I mean? But I don't really want to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, because doing that, I mean, in some ways it might be kind of cool, you know, like, yeah, I killed this thing right in my yard and, you know, I stocked up on him and hid behind the LP tank. And, you know know what I mean? It's like, it's like, but you miss so much of the other stuff. Like, yeah, I was sitting in the tree stand. There's just squirrel going off and, you know, the Northern flicker, my favorite bird that was chattering in the tree next to me. And, uh, you know, I heard an owl sounding off and, you know, and then, you know, I could hear the leaves kind of crunching. It just sounded like a buck was, you know, or a deer was coming in and boom, sure enough, is this, you know, like you miss all of that when it, when you just focus on the action of uh, drawing the bow back or, you know, cocking the hammer on the muzzleloader or whatever, you know, like, like if it just comes down to the killing moment, it's all that, all that other good stuff the stuff that really make that tells the story all of that's lost on it so yeah i agree with you man i think you make you make some really really good points there but all that to say there might be someone out there listening right now who is in the same boat as me right now and you 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 know i i i'm so thankful for the bucks that i've harvested through through the years i'd really like to get another buck this year and uh, a, a big part of it is the food, of course. Um, I was blessed with a doe back in uh, late October. Really thankful to to get her and have a good, clean recovery and everything. Um, but uh, I'd still like to get another deer uh, for the family for the year. And um, I'd, I'd like to, you know, chase some antlers yet. And we're kind of getting to the time of year where, you know, we're past, we're past the best days at this point, you know, like, like for rut activity, we're past the best of it. I think, you know, we're recording this on November 20th. Um, but I think there's still some hope just based on my previous years of hunting and observing deer. Um, I think there's still some rutting activity to, to happen yet. Um, so like standing here at November 20th, and again, we know this is a little different in Iowa than it is in most other states. Um, I think this is another thing that Iowa does that's really good, which is they give us a long archery season without um, firearms during the rut. I think that's that's one of the ways the state can preserve a an older age class of deer. But, um, you know, even if you're listening in from like Illinois right now, you're in the break, right? You, you just had your first gun season this last weekend. Now this weekend it's bow only again. 
then next weekend it'll be at the weekend after Thanksgiving will be um, your second gun season. But uh, Missouri, Nebraska, Wisconsin, I think all their gun seasons are still going on right now. So it's a little bit different. But here in Iowa, Chris, if a guy wants to kill a a at least we'll we'll say at least a three and a half year old. So the youngest the youngest age they would go for is a three and a half year old. What does he gotta do right now? You know, we'll say until December one when the gun season kicks off. What would be a good strategy for killing a buck? Well, we're getting as you have said, you know, we're getting down towards the end of um but bow season here for a little while. First week, first weekend of uh, December, I think is always the Iowa opener for shotgun. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I, I'll just throw it out there. Um, we were talking about, you know, a little bit ago about seeing, seeing big deer and kind of how kind of it's a rare thing. Um, the biggest deer I've, I've ever shot with my bow was November 19th. Um, some of the biggest deer that I've ever seen from a vehicle driving around Iowa, either going out to hunt or, you know, usually that time of the year, I'm either going out to hunt or, or coming back in from hunting, um, mm-hmm. have, have around this time of year. Um, I, you, you'd see <laughs> when I lived in Southwest Iowa, we were talking about it earlier. There's, there's more ditches and fence rows and farm ground over there than there is forest in other parts of Iowa. Mm-hmm. And you'll, and you'll just be, I would just be amazed how like you would just look across a field and there would just be a, a big mature, 150 class or better uh buck just walking walking just walking <laughs> just covering around just going 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 to look for you know the, the that doe and i i think i really think that it's easy for them at the beginning and then i think as this peak starts to taper you know there's not as many and they got to get up and cover ground to find them and I think that I think this time of year right now, um, through Thanksgiving, just like Rod White has, has mentioned on uh, many of his podcasts that you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. is the best time in Iowa to at least see a big deer. Maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily get a shot at him because a lot of the time they're co- they're covering wide open ground. That's that's yeah, hard. I've noticed that. I noticed that just this morning on my way into work, there were bucks way out in the middle of cut cornfields yeah they're they're looking man i'm telling you they're looking and you know if you're if you're in an area you know where there's where there's a a good concentration of does there's going to be bucks i mean there's going to be bucks coming in there there to check that and i would i would say you know if if i had some advice for guys that were still trying to fill a tag it would be to hang close to those doe groups that you know have some big mature does in them um because even if they've been bred or they've already cycled through, um, those bucks are still going to check them. They know they're there. They're, they're still going to come through and check them. Um, if, if they don't find anything they like, they're probably just going to move on. But if you're there when they come in and check them, you know, you're in the chips. Um, so that, yeah. that would be my advice. I'll be honest with you, too. If you can get into an area, and, and this is kind of a tactic. I, I, I haven't used as much, but I, I know works. Um but it, you got to be a little careful with it. Um, if you're willing to pay the money to get some of this dough in estrus scent that comes from um, a 
captive herd. And you got to be careful because in some states they don't like, I think Virginia won't let you use deer sense. But yeah, in Iowa, yeah, yeah if, can, it's a, if, if it's a real biological product, they, they, there can be some laws on that in a few states. You're right. Um, but I know for a fact that that stuff works. I mean, you're going to pay a little bit more money from it, but I'd rather pay more money for stuff that I know is coming from a real deer than stuff I'm buying off a Walmart shelf. But that mm-hmm. stuff, you can let that stuff just drift into an area where you know there's going to be deer moving through and those bucks are going to you know, hit it. Um, that can be money too. I mean, um, I, I almost, I don't know if you've ever used the, uh, the wind scent from conquest but it's like a it's like a vaporizer that heats it heats up the dough and estrus scent that they got and then like uh you can program it to shoot it out like every minute or three minutes or five minutes mm, and interesting. Then, uh, man you can put that stuff around you and you can, I, i've just seen it suck deer in i i shot a you know what i th- believe to be a, a mature buck i think he he was probably in the 140 to 150 class with a busted inside inline time but he came in and stuck his nose nose right on it at 15 steps i mean but i watched i watched him come in from several hundred yards away along the creek coming right to it then he did he disappeared as he dropped down the creek and then he popped up right in my lap so i mean that's what they're looking for you know what i mean if you're hunting in, yeah. in a hill, in hilly terrain where there's a lot of ridge systems I can tell you what, where you need to be. If, if you're hunting in big timber, these bucks are going to cruise the downwind side of these ridges, especially on, on the where you know these does are laying, scent check them, and then drop down into the valley or through a, through a gut, and then they're up on the next one, and they're moving. They're just they're covering ground, man. They're looking, and mm-hmm. most of them are going to be using that, that wind to their advantage to pick up what they're looking for. And if they, if they, 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 they find it, man, they're going to, they're going to look, they're going to, Hmm. come right into you just uh you know calling can be effective this time of year too if you see a big deer out there um if he's a long way out there i would just shoot him a couple grunts if he doesn't hear him maybe click some antlers together if you're mm-hmm. in you're in the timber and he's close to you i'd let him go by you i'd let him go by you and then i'd i'd, I'd hit him with the grunt so he hears you and then i would turn around and my deer stand and throw that grunt behind you so it sounds like the buck's the bucks farther away, farther behind you. And, and I've had that work and pull them right by you. Um, but when they're out looking, man, and they, they get an idea that there's other deer around or, you know, there's something around that is ready. Mm-hmm. They're going to come check it out. And you just got to be ready because when they come to check it out, if they can get behind you, they're coming in that way. You know, they're going to, they're going to come in with, with the wind and the big ones are going to come in with the wind. Um, sure. To the time. Um, Depending on depending on the terrain, sometimes you can get in a, in a situation where you're sitting on like a creek shelf and it's hard for them to get behind you, or you're sitting on a fence line and it's hard for them to get behind you. Those are kind of neat situations because they you can pull them to the base of your tree sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I think calling deer during the rut is probably one of the most fun ways to hunt. Personally, yeah, bow and arrow. But you know, I I just think that uh, most of the big deer that I've shot, I bet you I've shot half of them with a grunt call or or clicking some antlers together during late October mm-hmm. or november i just i don't know i just think it's like how, how many times have you been out in the timber and you see a nice buck that's cruising by um at like 75 to 150 yards a lot probably right yeah oh yeah yeah and, and if it's that time of year and you know he's alone why not what do you got to lose he's yeah. going by you know what i mean yep. it is attention it is attention and and uh you know try to try to try to, what, try to when you rattle how how loud are you when you are you like really slamming them or are you uh, just kind of 
just rubbing them together real quick. I'm just, what you, you, know, you know how like you'll get trail cam pictures or you, you've seen like some little bucks. Yeah. Touching kind of antlers and kind of clicking them together, just kind of like feeling yeah. each other. That's all I do. That's all I do. I don't, I don't slam them. I mean, I guess you can if, if if you feel the need, but I I kind of feel like that 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 hasn't worked for me, so I don't do it. I mean, yeah. I don't, you know, I, I've never really seen that in the timber. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I saw the first thing I've ever seen this year in my life. Never thought I'd see it. My dad was with me. My buddy Jay was with me. We came around the corner. There was two probably 110 inch bucks locked up. One of them was dead with a broken neck. I'll send you the picture of him here in a minute. Oh the other one man! The other one was locked to him to the dead one. The coyotes had been eating on the dead one, and I I, I tried to get my phone out and, and hit the brake at the same time. And it's me and my dad and Jay and Jay's bigger than my dad and I, so we're all in the side by side Polaris, you know, like a two manner cramped in yeah. three people. And my dad stomps on my he's he's like trying to look too. He stomps on my foot and and pushes my foot down on the gas. I'm trying to slam on the brake. <laughs> we're going by him. I, mean, I can't get you know, can't get him on video, but he it was crazy. <laughs> I think we startled them so bad that the, the, the live one broke free, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately for us in the sense that we couldn't view it, but at, at the same time, it was pretty fortunate for that that he was. Yeah, oh yeah, it. for sure. But it was, it was crazy, man. I, I'd never seen anything like that. I'll, I'll send you a picture right now. But yeah, yeah, I want to see that for sure. They been locked up in, it was like a, it was like a, a, a kind of like, you know, like it was actually right next to a, um, a tube that we had over a creek. And they had gotten down in the creek, and there was just they had just destroyed that area. It was just like a like a mud pit. Yeah, describe it. It was just uh, it was a, never seen anything like that. But what? I'll tell you what, if I if I like I mentioned earlier, if I had three days I can hunt in Iowa, it would be the seventh, eighth, and ninth, just because it's like it's getting ready to, you know, they're, yeah, they're just right. you know this year just so desperately. I think the juries call it like desperately seeking or something like that. That's just I think. That's probably my favorite time to be in the woods. I think that last week of uh, October, you know, is, is so good too because they're they're just so charged up mm-hmm. and, and, and there's a lot of chasing going on. And you know, you get to throw some cold days in there like we had this year, and it's yeah, just like man. There's a lot of big deer that died in Iowa this year, the last week of October. Yeah. Well, um, honestly, you know, you know, honestly, I think those were probably the best days of the 2023 deer season, you know, just because of the way the, that front lined up with uh, what's going on biologically with a deer at that point, you know, it's just like a perfect storm for me. Yeah. I think I had seven bucks on my farm that evening, that front rolled in and uh, it was just crazy. It was just so fun watching them from all over the place, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that first weekend in November and that last week in October this year, the weather was prime and, and big, those big deer were, were on their feet. They were, they were, they were, they were, I saw a lot of three-year-olds chasing does. I saw one big mature, probably four or five-year-old with a doe. Um, I'm not sure if he was breeding or I, I don't think he was, but I think he was, you know, definitely, he was, he was in the mood. I think she was, she was kind of, I think she was close, but I don't know. If yeah. Sure. He was with her and he was bedding with her and he was thinning off other bucks like I was talking earlier, but. Like late October, those those three days in November, and then I, I really don't like too much hunting. Like after like the tenth of November till about right now, it's it's really hard. Like like it's really hard to find them. I mean, I mean a lot of them are with those, and they're actively breeding them, especially mm-hmm. the big bucks. Like, they breed a doe for a day or two, boom, they're on the onto the next one. Dope, you know. But right now, like 
cameras that my dad has out and we're watching they're starting to light back up again some of these bigger deer are getting up and they're moving again i think they're they're freed up now and it's it's starting to like we mentioned it's it's tapering it's tapering and i mean the, mm-hmm. the bell curve is dropping bell curve is dropping as as we're talking and uh i i honestly believe just like you heard rod say it and the biggest deer that i've seen in iowa bar none like if, if you, if, you know, November 20th, like we're talking right now on November 20th, you know, throw a couple of days on each side of this more, more towards the, the latter part, I would think closer to Thanksgiving. It just, it just seems like they, it's, it's not like it was for them. There, there's not a lot of extra does everywhere. Like there was, you know, mm-hmm. 10 days ago and, and now they got to get up and they got to go look. And, you know, I, I really think like he said, and you know, like I've seen, this is, in my opinion, the best time to see them. Can you get close to them? Can you get on one? I don't know. That's a different. It's it's, it's a right. lot different seeing one and, and actually yeah. getting getting them. But um, you know, so, I, I think so. So, so would know. you say that? You know, normally what you would say during early November, the the conventional wisdom is get downwind of doe bedding areas because that's where bucks are going to be doing a lot of scent checking, or in the evenings get you know kind of downwind of a doe feeding area. Um, this time of year though, as like the seeking is a little bit more hard, you know, it's almost like they're almost like they're speed seeking now, you know what I mean? Because you said, you know, they're looking for that scent. They're going to key in on that scent. Is it better? I mean, obviously we talked about, they'll be out in the middle of cornfields, just cutting across, you know, wide open country to get to the next piece of habitat is is it good though to maybe focus like if you're going to choose a tree stand location or maybe someone's going to do a hanging hunt with a uh a lone wolf or a a saddle or something like that would you be just keying in on like high travel areas right right now like uh you know like a timbered edge you know or maybe something you know somewhere that butts up to some crp or something like that um would would you be looking to hunt something like that, or would you say no? Nah, I'm still going to probably be sticking close to a doe bedding area or feeding area. Well, i i would I would think that I mean, if you go back and just revisit kind of the, one of the things I said earlier is like if you know where there's an area with a good four population of does, and I mean like a good population, I'm talking at least you know six to ten to twelve, you know, mm-hmm. good does good good doe social group where, where there's consistently a lot of does that's going to be a good spot to be i mean you know do you do you want to be on the food do you want to be on the bed i think that kind of depends a little bit on on the time of day that you're going to hunt like if i was going to hunt um the morning i'd, I'd want to be down into that bedding area you know because those those does are more likely yeah. going to come in there and, and lay in one of the one of those slopes where they can get some sun and stay warm uh, as it gets colder and, and those bucks are, are probably going to ease through there and, and, and kind of check their way, kind of check them and, 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 you know, just kind of feel it out and see if those, those girls are in, in heat or ready. And if they're not, they, they may move on. They may bed close by and stick around. But, you know, in the evening, um, I, I think you might want to try to get downwind of kind of where you, where you think those, those are headed. And those, those bucks, man, those big ones, um, they live and die by it. You know, they, if you if you ever watch a big deer moving, um, like while you're whether you're hunting or it's so nice now with trail cam pictures because you can kind of get an idea of which direction he was moving, and then you go to 
you know, weather underground and you get an idea of which way the wind was blowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, more often than not, kind of what I've, I've seen, at least in the timber that I hunt a lot, is that, you know, when the wind's out of the west, a lot of these deer are, mo- are moving on the east, eastern side of the timber. A lot of these big mature deer, you know, when the wind's mm-hmm. out of the east, they're, a lot of them are flip flopping. They're, they're they seem like they're they're quartering into the wind or quartering, um, kind of you know as the as the wind's hitting them, it's kind of they're, they're using that scent, but they're also kind of um, to pick up stuff that's kind of in the timber in front of them or to the side of them. But they're also kind of looking visually to see in front. They're just they're not moving a lot with with the wind at their backs or right in their face because they're just they're not really taking advantage of you know their eyesight and, and their nose. At the same time, it just seems like those bigger ones are really like to, like to kind of quarter quarter into the wind, or um, you know, kind of quarter away from the wind. Just kind sure. of depending, but it seems like you know when you're talking about a an area where you know they're checking that they're usually going to be kind of hanging hanging close to that downwind side of it. They can really just kind of they they can you know they can pick it up quick, whatever whatever it is that's in there. And, I just, you know, I, I just had my best luck in November downwind of bedding areas. And mm. granted, I bet my better luck has, has been towards the beginning part of November. But if you know where there's maybe, you know, maybe you're in a situation where you know where there's a couple couple big timbers where there's a good amount of deer in both, and maybe maybe there's there's not much in between them, but maybe there's like a strip. Maybe there's a strip of like uh, cottonwoods or um it's just like a strip of something some type of uh terrain it doesn't necessarily even have to be trees it could be a fence line or a grassy strip or a, or a waterway that that it gives them up just a touch of cover to connect those two timbers where you know there's doe, doe groups mm-hmm. that could be a really good place in my opinion this time of year because they're covering ground they're going to get up and they're going to move like if they're in that timber and there's nothing there for them that they want they're gonna they're gonna get up. They're gonna move, especially if it's getting cold like it is this these next couple of days that are coming. Yeah, they're gonna be moving. I mean, they're gonna get up and they're gonna move and they're gonna they're gonna look for them. I, it's, it's, you know, they, they say that a buck can breed until he sheds his antlers. I mean, obviously the testosterone starts dropping later in the year, but you know, as long as he's got those that hormone going and you know he's gonna he's gonna be looking. So I, I wouldn't give up. I really think that. This is a really hard time of year to hunt because of the weather. It's getting cold, and you're probably not going to see a lot of the action that you saw in late out. You're not going to see that kind of stuff. Right. You're not going to see a lot of that stuff. But at the same time, I still think that you could have an encounter with a really, really big deer if you're willing to, you know, willing to put in the hours. Yeah. Well, that's that's great advice. It's encouraging advice, too, you know. Um, I'm I, – I've kind of been observing that here recently, the same thing, you know. I heard somebody describe, I think it was Tony Peterson, um, who does a lot of stuff with uh, Meat Eater. I think he works full-time for Meat Eater now, but I think he used to write used to write for um, a couple different hunting magazines, I think. But um, I, really, I really appreciate what he has to say, too. You know, he just has a good down-to-earth perspective, and he – kind of explained it as those older bucks know that you know the show goes on <laughs> there's still more does out there they know that the rut is they've had you know maybe three four or five ruts under their belt at this point they know there's if they go looking they're going to find does 
And so, um, it, it brings, you know, it brings those big bucks out more frequently than people realize. And that's, that's consistent with what you're describing there. So, um, you know, one thing I've kind of noticed is soybean, like a, like a cut soybean field is like ghost town right now. And part of that is, you know, that's what gets hit with, with anhydrous in the, in the fall, um, you know, trying to add that extra nitrogen to the soil along with what what the beans put in um for when they're going to be doing growing corn on there the following year yeah. uh so they're kind of like almost mud fields now you know yeah. is it worth hunting a terrain feature uh in you know like maybe surrounded by or bordering a you know a a harvested bean field or do you just basically write those off this time of year? Well, I don't know. I'm kind of with you. I, I kind of feel like they're usually more waste grain in like a cornfield for whatever reason. Maybe it's harder mm-hmm. to come. You know, you get that more trashy. Yes, dog. definitely. Uh, so I think that that might be something to consider. Uh, but I, I think you got to kind of take into consideration like, you know, what, what kind of experience do you have with the area? I mean, there's definitely a, a big difference between having – uh in my opinion beans and corn i think like um depending on whether or not they leave some of the beans man if if some of the beans are left that can be game changer Mm -hmm. like if you have standing beans in an area this time of year when it's cold oh oh boy oh boy watch out (laughs) because because if especially if there's not a lot around like in in that section you're gonna have a lot a lot of deer on, on those standing beans in my opinion a standing bean food plot is it for like late late muzzleloader that's mm-hmm. it uh, you just if that's it for me um but then again like you said if it's cut and there's not much left i would i would go look for greener pastures um it's not to say you can't do well um but i i would maybe you know before you start spending an inordinate amount of time there maybe put up some cameras and just see if you're picking up gear moving through there if you're picking up small bucks and does consistently moving through there, I don't think you got a chance. Because, yeah. I mean, if you have moving through an area and they're laying down scent, there's going to be bigger deer that are going to pick up on that and they're going to come check it out. Every day, probably not. Every couple of days, probably. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? So I think if you're in a travel corridor that's getting use, you know, put up your cameras and see what they're telling you. And if you're getting the pictures that you, you want and the intel that you need, okay, do it. But if, if it were me... I would actively search out where the deer are feeding at consistently this time of year, because if you can find a consistent food source, that's the best hunting you're going to have. That's it, it's just the way it's going to be, man. Like you find a consistent food source that's going to hold, hold these deer for the next couple months through the winter. That's going to be your best spot to hunt. Hmm. It is. That's, that's where the, that's where the does are going to go. Great advice. The does are going to go to feed and the bucks. Oh, by the way, need to feed too but at the same time they're going to be checking that that core group of does that are in that area but if you could find two areas like that maybe you get lucky that you can find two areas like that in the same section or um you know close by within you know quarter mile half a mile and then you can find like a uh, a farm that doesn't really lay out well with like it doesn't look like it has like a lot of big timber on it but maybe it's got like a creek system or a um, a fence row or something that, that, you know, doesn't look like it would be a great spot to hunt, 
but mm-hmm. just it, it it would provide the corridor between those two farms. You're gonna you're gonna see some bigger deer this week, you know, the next mm. couple of days, you know, that are still looking. They're gonna be moving through there. Is it gonna be at night? Probably, mostly. But that doesn't mean you can't catch them the last hour or the first hour sure, or yeah. day, you know. So I I wouldn't give up. <clears throat> I mean, I'm planning on going going to sit downwind of a a cedar thicket either Wednesday or Thursday morning for a couple hours that I haven't hunted all year. And, you know, has the EHD hit in there? Probably, you know, but I haven't hunted it. And to be honest with you, I just want to go hunt something new. I'm, I, yeah. you know, I got deer over here on some public. I know he's there, but that's kind of, I think one of the, the things that's a little bit fun for me now is as I've kind of um, hunted a lot is, is, is hunting new areas and seeing new things and the, just a change of scenery can be what you need sometimes. So, you know, if, if you're getting burned out at this time of year, do something different. Go have some fun and pick an area that you've always wanted to hunt. Maybe you haven't got in there yet and go learn a little bit. Cause I'll tell you what, last year was my first year hunting it. And I didn't know exactly how some of the bucks were moving through there, checking those bedding areas. But this year I do, I, I've got yeah. the tree out and I, I will be in there one morning in the next couple days coming up. And uh, if they do like they did last year, um, we'll see, you know, we'll see if the right one comes by, but you know, I, I just think, you know, you gotta, you gotta get out there and just make the best choices and decisions you can. Um, but I, I think, uh, as this, as this bell curve drops, man, there's going to be a, you know, hopefully this cold weather will just kind of settle in and then there, then there's going to be a huge shift. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a lot of your, a lot of, a lot of your deer, uh, move into areas that have, have cover close to a, a, a reliable, consistent food source. Yeah. And they, you got that this time of year. It's when the shed hunting pays off. That's you're, when, you're in the game. Yep. Yeah. I'll, I'll do my best advice. Security cover next mm-hmm. to food. You know? Yeah. And I, I think there's probably more areas where there's food than there is security cover in Iowa. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and if you can get the combo of the two close by, you're you're in the in the in the in the in the game. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, uh, I mean, that's when the shed hunting pays off. I think that's probably the most valuable bit of information you can get as far as where shed hunting translates over to deer hunting is where you find a lot of sheds. That's where you need to be doing your late muzzleloader hunt. And, and, uh, you know, that's what I'm going to try and capitalize on this year, but man, I'm excited. I'm going to get out Thanksgiving morning and, uh, probably the, you know, black Friday, if if I have to, hopefully, uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, uh, I got a lot to be thankful for by dinner time on uh, on uh, Thanksgiving Day. But um, I'm I'm thinking of some of those places already that that line up well. I'm probably going to send you some pins here soon and just ask you what you think. I probably should have worked this in when we were talking about calling. But um, I've been hearing a lot of guys talking about and I, and I'd kind of written these off as like a gimmicky thing, like that's never going to work. But then I keep hearing these guys talk about, no, man, that I, I called them in with a bleak call. Um, bleak. Yeah. Bleak calls. Uh, so I don't know, maybe those, remember those old uh, Primos yeah. dough cans, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. I think the, I think these guys are mostly using some kind of mouth call. Um, that's a bleak call. Uh, have you, like 
have you, I guess, first of all, had any experience with those, using them and having success? And then if you have, how do you compare it to rattling this time of year? Well, um, I, I, I have had success with the bleat, not as much as with, with the grunt and the antlers. Um, in, in Virginia, uh, where I grew up hunting, there was a lot of guys hunting. And, uh, you know, just to try something different, I, I, I tried the bleat when I would see big bucks that were out by themselves looking. And I, I called one in when he came in. He was a mature deer. When he came in, he circled downwind and gave me a 30-yard shot. Wow. Uh, but I, I don't hear it a lot in the woods. Like if you're like if you're like watching and observing deer, you're gonna hear grunts. You'll hear you'll mm-hmm. you'll hear does grunting to their fawns, doing little contact grunts. You'll hear bucks in November grunting. So I, I to me, um, you know, it's actually I've obviously a, a deer vocalization, but I, I've only really to be honest with you, I, I think that I've only actually heard that I know a doe did it one time when she was being pursued or being being tended by a buck. Only once. Mm. And, and I, I knew it because uh, I was hunting with my brother and my dad. We were kind of spread out on this fence line. And the big deer, oh, he was a big deer, big deer, 170 class 10-pointer, I believe. Oh, man. And uh, he came in on me first following the doe then he then the doe turned and went by my brother and they looped all the way around and they went, the last time i saw them they were headed towards my dad but before they got to my dad i heard the ah, like the bleat i was like that's mm-hmm. her that's her i mean that's the direction they went so she was bleating for whatever reason to, to let that <laughs> to communicate with that buck so i mean it it is part of the you know the game but, yeah you know, as far as like how effective is it? I, I don't feel, I don't have the confidence in it that I have in that grunt. Um, sure. For, for, I don't have like as a lot of experience with it in the sense that I've, I've seen it work a lot. I've seen it work one time. You know what I mean? I called that deer in and killed him in Virginia. Um, is that to say that it can't work? No, I think it can work, but I just, I don't know exactly, you know, w- you know what the best play is with it all the time. I, I do know that calling in general that like, if I could put like give give hunters or, or guys one piece of advice for calling, it would be this: if you can see the deer that you're calling to, and it is completely wide open in between you and him, be very very careful about mm. calling that animal because if you can see him, there's there's a very good chance that he's going to be able to see everything in between you and him. Yeah, and if he does not see a deer out there, and you start calling to him. He's going to lock in on you. It's amazing how they can lock yep. in on where that sound's coming from. And he's going to get a little bit paranoid, especially, well, not maybe not paranoid, but he's going to get a little bit uneasy or suspicious of something because he can see where there's supposed to be a deer and there is no deer. Yeah. That, that exact thing just happened to me on uh, this, pat, uh, this past Tuesday evening. I called in a buck. I rattled in a buck from about, four or 500 yards away. And there was, there was pretty good breakup in the, the habitat. But when he got to those last 40 yards, I could tell in his mind, he's like, where's the deer? You know, mm-hmm. like I, I, I just heard these two bucks fighting and I don't see any deer, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see a doe. I don't see, I don't see the two bucks that are fighting. And he, because that he wouldn't, and I, and he was on the neighboring side of the fence. So I needed him to not only get into a good shooting lane, but I needed him to 
get onto my side of the fence. And because, because he didn't see a deer, he, uh, and I was hunting from the ground. Um, he went and, and just kind of cruised into a spot where I no longer had good cover and he was going to get behind me and he'd be able to see me. And, uh, I was out of it, you know, I had to, cause I had to adjust at that point. I had to carefully stand up and keep the tree in between him and me, but he saw my arrow sticking out <laughs> off my rest. He saw it like move when I, you know, carefully adjusted and yeah. that, that made him bust, but you're right. He was on high alert when he, and I just was thinking, man, if I had a decoy, this would have been the perfect time to, to have yeah. a decoy, you know, that's the nice thing. I haven't done a lot of decoying, but you know, if you have that decoy that sucks them in, you can kind of keep them upwind of you for, you know, however long it takes you to maybe get a pull off shot. But it's just, you know, like the times that it's worked for me that I've seen bucks cruising with that, with the grunt, not the, not the bleed, but, I'll just try to wait till I can barely see them. I, I want them to be close enough that they can hear it, um, but I want to get something in between them and me so that it's harder for them to see me. Yeah, they, they, they kind of there's some stuff in the way where they would be like, okay, well, that that deer is on the other side of that tree or, or on the other side of that uh, grassy patch. It's, it's over there, but I just can't see it. But if they're in a situation where they're like, okay, that deer should be there, but it's not. Um, Something's not right. Right. Yeah. And, and we, and a whitetail is the king of something's not right, man. Because when they figure out something's not right, it's pretty much it's pretty much game game over. <laughs> That's right. They don't they don't really go busting in there to be like, oh well, yeah. you know what? I better work out. Yeah. They. Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, you'll get a doe that like wants to get you to move or show yourself and do some head bobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, it's over, man. Once that stuff starts happening, and you know, I, grunting is a great tool. I just don't, I just, you just got to be careful, man. It's not going to be like your end all. It's not going to just like suck them into your tree. Right. A lot, I think in some areas, like especially public where everybody's grunt had a big deer that you see <laughs> might be better off not even doing it, but you know, yeah. to, to your own, but it could definitely work. It can definitely work. I've seen it work. I've just seen it work a lot better on private ground than, than, than calling on some public. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. Um, I just, I've seen it work better in, in some areas where the deer haven't been pressured as much. Yeah. But, um, as far as leads go, I mean, yeah, I think they work. I mean, I know they work. I just, I don't have the confidence in them that I do with that ground. Call sure. Now, now would you, with the calling, would you do any blind calling this time of year? Or are you only calling when you see, you know, so are you only rattling? Are you only grunting? Are you only bleeding? If you see, you know, you have eyes on a deer. Yeah, usually I don't do a ton of blind calling. I mean, I kind of like to that first, you know, magic hour of the morning that last 45 minutes a day. I just kind of feel like if I'm going to see a big deer, it's probably going to be more natural movement that way. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, I just don't want to like if he's headed my way or you know he's coming my way. I, I want I don't want to let him know that I'm here if he's already coming. Because once you once you call to him, it's it's just like turkey hunting in my opinion. You you become the hunted. You yeah. know. You know what I mean? They're looking yep. for you. They are actively looking to social. If they if they're wanting to social socialize and communicate with you, they're looking for you. Yeah, and, that's good. Um, that's a good way to say yeah. that. You need to really understand that uh, because um, you might you might be able to get away with a little bit of of movement at the at the wrong time, depending on the situation. If they don't actively know you're there, 
But if they're like really focused in on that area, it, it just you got you're gonna be really on your toes because mm. you're not gonna get away with as much. So um, I don't I don't do a, on a blind calling. I mean, if if it's a really good morning and I'm seeing like a lot of a lot of bucks trolling, like I saw last November fifth, I I think I saw four or five bucks that morning, one really good one, and uh, you know. I think on those kind of mornings, there's probably other ones out there that are doing the same thing that you're not seeing. I know there is. And, and I don't think it hurts to, cr- to click the antlers or crack them together. But I just, you know, if it doesn't work once or twice, I, I don't think I would keep keep beating, the, beating it. You know sure. I mean? Yep. No, and that's, it's all great advice and, and very timely for now. And, and uh, man, as Chris said, there's still hope, uh, still basically hunt it like you would use good rut tactics on november 3rd from the sound of it get downwind of where there's going to be a lot of does and expect bucks to be coming through at some point and uh, I, I like the idea of moving moving cameras around too you know yeah. yeah oh yeah i didn't throw that in there but uh last year when i was hunting that big deer i was i was watching him in this area and he was he was most of the time i saw him he was on the east side and he, he was coming out and he was checking these does with west winds, which worked 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 well for him coming out of this these cedar thickets that he lived in and the honeysuckle thickets that he lived in on the east side. And then these guys went in there and they started working. And they ripped out a tube on an overflow uh pond. And they were working in, in what I considered to be kind of his the area that I was seeing him in. Yeah. And I, I stopped seeing him. I stopped getting pictures of him. Man. And and gun season was in, and I was like, well, maybe he's gone. Maybe someone got him. Yeah. And I was like, you know, let me move my cameras. And I moved my cameras a half a mile towards the western side of the piece, and I started picking them up going both ways, and I was like, I'm back in it. I'm back in it now. That's right. So, you know what I mean? And yep. I, you know, you just, I, I, I don't know. I just think that. If you go out there with the attitude that you're going to have fun and you're just going to get out, that's that's my attitude every time I go out shed hunting. Shed hunting is I'm going to go out and just enjoy the day, and, and at the very least have fun and get some exercise. Yeah. You know? And yeah. if I find and I find an antler, great. And I, I kind of feel like I'm at that point now too, where I got you got to just enjoy it, go out mm-hmm. and have fun. And yeah. uh, you know, who cares if you don't get a deer? You know, hopefully you at least see them because that makes it a lot more fun. But, yeah. You know, who cares if you don't get a deer? Just go out there and have fun and try to learn something and, uh, you know, just, just keep going back. Because, like like they say, when you're shed hunting miles for piles, I, I you know, it, it's the same thing with deer hunting. It's, 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 there's a lot of, a lot of stuff has to come together for you to uh, yep. kill that big deer. I mean, it really, it just yeah. doesn't happen all the time, man. It really, you, you know that. It just doesn't yep. happen. But the more, the more you, you just go out there and, um, Put yourself in a situation where you it could happen well it's gonna happen it'll happen for you if you're one of those guys that um you know doesn't have a lot of time to hunt you know obviously you got to kind of just kind of really go after it as hard as you can when you, when you can but you know i would just if, if my advice was, was for somebody and i've heard a lot of guys say it, that you know they're not getting stuff on their cameras i i would encourage you to go like even even if you're not getting stuff on your cameras i would still go um mm. If the weather is good and you feel like you're in a good area, go. Because I have seen, I have literally seen while I'm in the woods hunting, big deer walk by in cameras that if I was not there, 
I would have thought nothing was moving through that section or that, that, that timber that morning, but, but they did, they just walked on the backside of the tree from the camera. I've seen it multiple times, you know what I mean? So, um, I would just go and and, and if nothing else, just go out there and have fun. But I, I bet you, you know, what do they say? You can't, you can't get them if you're not out there, right? That's and right. Can't kill them from the couch. Yeah, that's, that's like, there's nothing more true, man. Like I, I can remember vividly one morning, biggest, the first big deer that I ever killed uh, in Virginia, which kind of got me, which did it for me. I was like, it was November 6th, man. The rut was cranking. I mean, it was like <laughs> 8th, 9th, 10th in Virginia. Those are the days. And my buddy came downstairs. He's like, ready? I was like, ah. Oh. You want to sleep in? He's like, didn't even say a word. He just flicked the lights on and walked away. I was like, yes, we're going. So I got up and went and did. If I hadn't gone that morning, you know, I don't, I don't know that. Well, I know I wouldn't have got that big deer I killed in Virginia that, that just kind of threw it into overdrive for me. I know that yeah. wouldn't happen. You know, I would just say go. You know, even even if, shoot, even if it rains on you, at least you're outside and you're not sitting on your bum, wishing wishing you. Because there's there's been a lot of times that. You know, it's easy to roll over in the bed when it's warm and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'll just sleep in. But, yeah. you know, sometimes, you know, that you'll wake up nine o'clock that morning and be like, I should have just gone. You know, and then you look at your yeah. trail camp, the cell cam pictures, like, oh, man, I really should have gone. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't get many of these days. You know? and I would just say, you know, go out there and enjoy it. And the more you do, uh, you know, you know, obviously your odds are going to go up. Just, but just play it smart. You know, think about, you know, like what we've been talking about tonight, time of year plays in. Um, but I, I, bottom line, like where we're at right now in the deer season, I think personally this is your best time. I think unless unless you knew where there was a big deer to begin with and been at beginning of October, I think this is your best time to see a big deer. I really do. Mm, I like that. That's encouraging for sure. And uh, something that I'm hoping comes true for me here and I hope comes true for any listeners that are tuning into this. I want to say a big thank you to Chris. This again is Chris Dyer and uh, just really one of the the best whitetail guys that I know. And uh, you guys know everyone that I've, I've talked to through the years. Um, that's really saying something. And uh, I think that Chris does a great job probably because he's a teacher. That's his job. That's how we became friends. We were at a uh, biology teacher conference and uh, ran into each other there and didn't take long to start talking about deer. And, uh, uh, so he's good at breaking stuff down so people can understand it. And I think this is one you're going to want to re-listen to a couple times when you're, uh, traveling, uh, this week and, uh, hopefully having a chance to get out and do some hunting in between all the holiday festivities going on. Um, still just a great time to be, to be deer hunting. It's still sweet November. Um, still got over a week left of November and um you know like i said i know it's different in every state um but you know i think there's some some things here too if you have the early gun season then it goes back to bow season early um one thing that i don't think we really get to see very much of here in iowa is that quote-unquote second rut you know in early december that they talk about where there's uh maybe it's the the doe fawns of the year that are coming into heat or whatever um uh and you can kind of see another flurry of activity i think because iowa has such a deer drive heavy 
um, gun hunting culture, um, as do a lot of other states. I just think it just makes deer go kind of haywire during daylight hours. Then they're just holding up in sanctuary areas and just trying to stay alive. Um, but all that to say, if you're, you know, in another state where your gun season wraps up here in the next week or so, you got that, you, you might have that second rut to look forward to and, and see some of the similar behavior that you aren't necessarily seeing right now because deer drives are going through every timber where you're at. But uh, as deer season or gun season winds down there and go back to bow season, maybe you can apply some of these things that Chris talked about uh, for that time frame. I think I just think what I'm saying is I think there's something here for everybody, no matter where you're hunting deer yet. You still got a buck tag in your pocket, an archery buck tag. I think there's there's uh, definitely some success that you can find. Um, as as Chris stated, so keep your hopes up. Do it because it's fun. Do it because your brain, if it's like ours, just compels you to be out there in the deer woods, and that's where you're happiest and and uh, feel most like yourself. Um, be out there for those reasons, right? But um, uh, do remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge, in my opinion, and many of my friends' opinions, is the absolute best mapping tool there is for hunters and specifically whitetail hunters. That's what Spartan Forge was created for. It was created for whitetail hunting. Of course, it's useful for other species as well. And as far as the deer behavior prediction, they're uh, Bill and his team is working on getting that data for other species as well. But you can take advantage of that for uh, the whitetail woods already. Um, it's very affordable. Uh, you can get just the mapping and get a couple different map layers, not all of them, um, but a lot of them. And you can get the property owner information, which is huge, right? Um, back when these apps started coming out, oh, you know, five, 10 years ago, that was really the main thing I think a lot of people wanted was the property owner information. Um, well, you can get that for free. You can just download Spartan Forge for free, but I strongly recommend you pay for the subscription. It's uh, $59.99 to get all 50 states, and uh, you get um, a bunch more mapping layers. You get the deer behavior prediction. You get the Blue Force Tracker, which is so cool and so helpful when you um, are sharing a hunting property with a buddy. Uh, you see what they see and they see what you see on your maps as far as waypoints go. And, and, uh, I think it's just super helpful to do that. So, uh, you can go to the link in the show notes or go to my Instagram bio and click on the Spartan Forge link and, uh, join up and become a, uh, <clears throat> person who's using what I think is the best, uh, piece of technology in hunting right now. So, Again, Spartan Forge, presenting sponsor of this podcast. <clears throat> also, uh, don't forget about Alex from East West Hunts. If you have a dream hunt that you want planned, if you want to have the best odds of finding success on that hunt, you're going to want to talk to Alex. Give him a, uh, you know, reach out to him at eastwesthunts.com. Get the free consultation and tell Alex what your hopes and dreams are as far as hunting goes. And Alex will tell you how he can help you get there. So 
Um, it, I mean, it could be as much as doing your tag applications for hard to get tags, buying points, um, planning uh, what you need for gear, renting gear, all that stuff and so much more. Alex will help you put together that that perfect hunt plan for you to give you the best odds at having success on your dream hunt. Again, go to eastwesthunts.com. Tell them you heard about uh, East West Hunts. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, throat's going dry here. Uh, on the First Gen Hunter podcast, and you'll save 10% off of any service booked with Alex. And uh, that's money that you can roll into elsewhere, which we all need because hunting is expensive. And then finally, you shoot that big mature buck while he's up on his feet during this last 10 days of November. You need to go to a place that's going to do him justice with the taxidermy work. Go to Old Barn Taxidermy down in southeast Iowa. Uh, They're in the Fort Madison area. And they do world-class museum-quality taxidermy work. Um, Sam has been doing it for a very long time, many decades. And uh, he's a perfectionist. And it does not leave the shop if it isn't perfect. You don't want to settle for bad taxidermy. Get it done right. Go to Old Barn Taxidermy and tell them that the First Gen Hunter podcast sent you. That is a big help to me if you do that. I've been having some people already doing that this year. Really appreciate that. So please consider Old Barn Taxidermy. Get it done the right way. Well, thanks again, Chris, and thank you to everyone for tuning in. Until next time, take care and take someone hunting.